Welcome to the Beyond Your Money podcast with Mike Dukovich, financial advisor and retirement income certified professional with RBC Wealth Management. Join us as we share the tools and insight that can help you take control of your money and your life. Because we believe life's greatest returns are realized when you invest beyond your money. Welcome to the Beyond Your Money podcast with Mike Dukovich of RBC Wealth Management. I'm Patrice Sikora, and this time around, Mike talks about how he chooses investments, reviews accounts, and gets paid. And Mike, let's start with that last one. I'm sure the question of how do you get paid is asked by every client. Well, it should be. (laughs) (laughs) You would think that it should be. It's certainly on the top of everyone's mind. Um, But I guess whether or not people actually come out and ask it is another question. It's extremely important. Let's let's get it straight. They need to know. Mm -hmm. And so I make a point in every meeting to address that. I look at what we're doing and I make sure that the client understands the relationship and how I get paid, how the firm gets paid and ultimately how I get paid. Typically, there are two ways that advisors get paid. There's the commissioned-based approach, which I I consider kind of the old school way of doing things, the way they've always been done. And, And that is typically a transactional type of approach. And then there's the fee-based or the advisory approach. And that's, to be honest with you, that's 95% of my business. We'll certainly discuss that in more detail, but but let's talk about the commissioned approach. It is important, right? It's still out there. It's something that we can do for the right client. It does make sense. But with a commission-based approach, sometimes these are referred to as brokerage accounts or the advisor sometimes refers to themselves as a broker in these types of relationships. But the firm and ultimately that advisor gets paid when there is buying or selling going on, when there's a transaction, they are paid on activity. That advisor, as a result, has to be cognizant of the number of trades and transactions that are being made because it costs the client every time he or she does something in the account. In that type of commission-based relationship, being nimble can be costly to the client, Hmm. right? If I buy something today, and the market goes haywire and I have to sell it tomorrow, well, you just occurred two separate costs. And Mm -hmm. so as the advisor, I have to be cognizant of that. And I wanna certainly make sure that the costs that we are taking in a commissioned uh, approach are justified and warranted because the client does pay for that. Now, also in a commissioned world, and this would apply specifically to mutual funds, which is the most common type of investment that the vast majority of my clients own, The advisor is many times encouraged to use one investment family. And the reason why they do that is if you use one investment family, you can hit what are called breakpoints. And and it seems like a scary word to hit a breakpoint. But ultimately what that is, the more money you have in one family, you can actually acquire cheaper commissions. So entice an advisor theoretically to put most of the money in one fund family, which Don't get me wrong. There are good fund families out there, but Mm -hmm. not every fund family is good at everything. But just because we have to be cognizant of fees and a commissioned account, you could be all in one fund family just to keep it on the cheap side for you. Now, again, we're talking about mutual funds, and we will actually do a future show discussing mutual funds in detail. And and that will include breakpoints and how they work. So be sure to subscribe to be alerted when future shows become available. Now, there's a lot of buying and holding here, right? That would be the buy and hold type of approach. And and I mentioned at the beginning here, 95% of my clients are fee-based advisory accounts. So that other 5% that I work with are commissioned. And I'll tell you why. Those those 5% or roughly of my business are people that call me up and say, hey, Mike, I need you to buy me 
500 shares of XYZ. They are using me as a transactional broker in that relationship. They don't necessarily need a plan. They don't need advice. They know what they want to buy and they know that they're going to hold it for a long period of time. And so it makes sense for that type of client in that type of relationship to pay a commission versus the vast majority of my business being in the fee-based accounts or, or the advisory accounts. The advisory accounts are a little bit different. So in an advisory relationship, its goal is to have a long-term approach based on a plan. In that type of relationship, the firm and ultimately the advisor charges a fee, an annual fee based off of the size of the account. Is the client, you know, your goal is ultimately to have a successful account, to get the money to grow. If the firm and ultimately me as the advisor am getting paid a percentage of that number, well, guess what? I ultimately want it to grow as well. That, that is my goal as well. And so inherently, our goals are tied together. Which then if we jump back to the commission model, that sounds like the commissions could possibly potentially be a conflict of interest in that model. Absolutely right. It could be. Theoretically, if I'm making trades in the account and you as the client open up your statement some month and see that there's 10 trades that month, you could theoretically question, well, are those 10 trades in my best interest, in the client's best interests, or are they in Mike's best interest? So there could be that potential conflict of interest question that, that comes into play. Whereas in a fee-based relationship where I'm getting paid a percentage of the assets that we're managing, we both just want it to grow. And that's it. Now, in either case, with regards to my business specifically, all trades, regardless if they are in a commissioned brokerage account or inside of a fee-based account, all trades are discussed with my clients. So they're always involved in the process. And, and that's important. One of the other cool things about fee-based or advisory accounts is it allows me a lot of flexibility. It allows me to be nimble. Whereas in a commission-based approach, I have to be cognizant of those trades. In the advisory approach, I can make one trade a year. I can make a thousand trades a year. It does not matter to the client because we're not being charged or you're not being charged transactionally. We're not being mm -hmm. charged for every buy and sell that we make. I can buy something today and sell it tomorrow if I really needed to. It allows me to be nimble. It allows me to adapt and react. And it allows me to have the flexibility that, that I want to have. And then ultimately you want me to have as well. Now, another really important benefit to fee-based or advisory accounts is it allows me to use different products. And if we're talking about mutual funds, for example, a fee-based relationship opens up some doors. It allows me to use something called no-load share classes, or sometimes they're called institutional share classes or advisory share classes. A lot of different names for ultimately the same thing. These are the cheapest or some of the cheapest share classes that you can acquire in an account. That's, that's, a, that's a great benefit of having an advisory relationship. We can use no load share classes. The other kicker or one of the other benefits of having an advisory account where you may not get this in a commissioned account, because again, you're trying to hit breakpoints. In many cases, you're trying to be all in one fund family. And in an advisory relationship, because I don't have to worry about breakpoints, I put together what I consider the all-star team. And what I mean by that is I can use what I feel are the best of breed, what, what I feel are the best funds in each of their individual categories. And, and I can use my favorite funds to create a portfolio for you that I consider to be a collection of some of the best funds out there. I consider it to be an all-star team. And guess what? 
I don't have to be worried about the breakpoints or staying all within one fund family because I don't have to worry about trying to avoid those additional fees when I'm in an advisory relationship. Does this mean you have more work reviewing investments because you have a broad approach to possible investments? Well, so the review is secondary, right? So because I have multiple funds from multiple different fund families, I have to have a process. That kind of leads us to, to the second question that we'll get to here in a second, uh, as far as how do I choose and review the investments that are in these types of right. fee-based relationships? It's a great question, but you know, ultimately, if you have a process and you stick to it, then, then that doesn't really become that big of a deal. Now, with the fee-based relationship, logistically, the way the fees come out, and this is pretty standard across the industry, it's an annual fee based off of the assets that we're managing. And from a logistic standpoint, basically that annual fee is divided into four and it's charged quarterly to the account. The, the industry average right now, is right around 1% per year for around a million dollars in assets under management. The more money that we manage, the lower the fee. And inherently the, the less money that we manage, the higher the fee, the higher the percentage. And that scale, there's, there's, there's different tiers but that scale is typically outlined by the firm that you're working with. Okay. But it's pretty similar regardless of what firm or what advisor you're working with. If you're in a fee-based relationship, it's usually an annual fee divided quarterly and it comes out quarterly. Mm -hmm. One of the next things that I typically will bring up, and you hinted at it earlier, was how do I review the investments? How do I pick those investments? And, and ultimately, what is the process? And the question that you asked at the beginning, how do you choose and how do you review the investments? Another way to ask that is, how often are you looking at my account? Usually what I try to do when I'm sitting with a prospect or a client is, is I try to restructure that question. I ask it in a different way. And I, I ask, well, there's a difference between how often are you looking at my account versus how often are you looking at my investments? And that that really is the crux of the question. And, and that's it's really important to kind of differentiate, you know, those two components. Please okay? do. This is the secret sauce, so to speak. Okay. <laughs> this is where I put a, a lot of energy. I have a lot of pride in this process, but when, when I get asked by a client or a prospect, you know, what makes you different or how do you pick investments differently? This is what I consider the secret sauce. Not everyone does it this way and not everyone has this type of process, but I think it's extremely important because it provides checks and balances. It provides a systemized process that I can repeat and I can scale, allows me to work with many clients and many families, but most importantly, allows me to have a system of checks and balances. Mm -hmm. And so this would be how I handle my advisory relationship. So again, this is not commissioned or brokerage accounts. This is my fee-based advisory accounts. In the fee-based advisory account world, we're looking at investments on an ongoing review type of basis. Ultimately, if I'm looking at things, there has to be some sort of process as far as how I pick those things, first of all. In my process, my secret sauce, so to speak, is, is three tiers. Three tiers are, are what I call my high-level tier, my mid-level tier, or my screens. And then the third tier, I call it the in-depth analysis or the checks and balances. And the easiest way to think about this, the easiest way to conceptualize this process is like a funnel. I am taking the world of investments, which there are a lot of them. Right now, last I checked, there were close to or right around 10,000 different mutual funds out there, uh, give or take. And so my job is to not to know every fund that's out there. Not I can't possibly, no one can possibly know every, every fund within a 10,000 fund radius. Right. My, my job is to 
winnow down that basket of, of securities into a manageable list. And I, I call that manageable list for me, I call it my menu, or sometimes I call it my matrix. So from a very high level point of view, the first tier, that, that's where my firm will help me break down the universe of mutual funds from a very high level approach. They will basically winnow down that 10,000 or so mutual fund world into a list that they feel are appropriate for their advisors to use. And that list is still very broad. It's incredibly rare, exceptionally rare of a situation where I wanted to use a particular fund, but my firm has already filtered it out, which is a good thing. I want to use what I feel are good funds, and I want to use what my firm feels are good funds. Now, the firm will also put together their recommended list. And I do look at that. I do take that to heart. But it's not, I don't just use their recommended list, which a lot of advisors will do. I'll take it to the next step. I'll take it to what I call my mid-level or, or my screens, Mike's screens. These screens I get asked about quite a bit. I'm not trying to recreate the wheel here. The information that I'm gathering and that I'm analyzing and researching is all publicly available information. And you can find most of this right on your typical investment websites like Morningstar or MarketWatch or something like that. And these typically are, are different risk parameters that I find value in. That could be things like standard deviation or risk reward profiles. You know, how much reward can we possibly get for each incremental element of risk? We can look at things like expenses certainly are important. Long-term performance numbers. I'm not really worried about what it did in the last one, two, or three months. I want to know what this fund has done over the last three, five, and 10 years. Because mm -hmm. the fee-based relationship encourages us to have a long-term ongoing relationship. I'll also look at things, again, publicly available, things like peer ranking. How is it performed against its other peers in, in that same category? I'll look at yield. I'll, I'll look at manager ownership, which is interesting. You know, there are lots of studies out there that suggest that funds that have high manager ownership have historically done better over time. And what that means is that the manager who is actually managing the fund has a lot of their own money in the fund, right? The manager is metaphorically eating what they're cooking. When you look at the funds, and again, this is a publicly available statistic. When you look at the funds that have high manager ownership, they have historically done better over time. And then one of, the, one of my favorites and one of the, I guess, most important and critical elements that I look at are the upside downside capture. How does the fund perform when the market is going up? That would be the upside. And how does it perform on the way down? That's the downside. I'm typically looking for a fund that has a market-like return on the upside. So that kind of keeps pace with the market to the upside, but more importantly, has a better downside. So if the market's down, that fund just not down as much. And this goes back to one of our previous podcasts. My goal is not to beat the market year over year. It's very hard to do that. My goal is to lose less. Because I feel that when the market gets choppy, if I can lose less, I have a shallower hole to dig out of. That's how you really have a positive return over a long period of time. You win more by losing less. And how do you learn so much about these funds? Great question. These screens, again, are publicly available. But one of the things that I have at my disposal, and a lot of advisors do, I, I just take full advantage of this, but we have direct relationships with these managers, with these companies through fund company liaisons, or, or they're sometimes called wholesalers. Now, these are professionals that I have access to that provide in-depth company level information on the investments that we're choosing. And, and, I, and this allows me to engage not only with them 
but also directly with the manager if I wanted to. I can engage with the boots that are on the ground that are picking the investments. So this allows me to be very intimately aware of what the manager's like, what they're concerned about, what they're worried about, what they're buying and what they're selling. Through these liaisons, through these wholesalers, I am always in the know, so to speak, about what these managers are doing and what they're trying to invest in. Now, obviously, this information that I'm able to gather is available to the investment world. It's, it's again, publicly available information that the fund managers are legally permitted to disclose, of course. But it's information that I feel most of my competitors aren't taking the time to gather. It's information that is there, but I don't think the majority of the advisors out there are taking advantage of it, but I am. Kind of along those same lines, I also have access many times through various meetings, sometimes called due diligence meetings, where I can actually travel to and, and meet these managers, meet these experts, these analysts inside of the organizational headquarters. So I can actually visit the factory, so to speak. So it's very important to have these personal relationships because guess what? If, if a fund's not doing what I want it to do, I need to have somebody that I can call. Mm-hmm. I, need to be, I need to have someone that I can call and say, hey, you know, what's going on with this manager? Why are they underperforming this quarter? Or what's going on? What do they think about this or that? And so having that direct line of communication is very important. And so I take full advantage of that. Again, if we go back to that funnel analogy, we have the high level, firm level type of, of filtering. Then I throw in my screens on top of it. I use the relationships with the wholesalers and the managers to kind of just continue to funnel things down. And this ultimately allows me to create what I call my menu or my matrix. And, and the best way I can relate this to a client or a prospect is through baseball. You know, as you know, I, I've played baseball my entire life. And, and so I always like to kind of drive it home with, with this analogy. I am trying to field a team for you. Just like a baseball team has a, a left fielder and a right fielder and a pitcher and a catcher and a first baseman and so on and so forth. Your portfolio needs large cap growth. It needs large value. It needs small cap growth, small value, international, some bonds. So it has all of these different positions that I need to fill. Well, through this filtering process, I'm able to create what I feel is an all-star team. I can use what I feel are the best left fielders and the best right fielders. In your portfolio, I can use what I feel are the best large cap growth funds and the best small cap growth funds. This roster or, or this menu or this matrix, I call it, allows me the ability to create any portfolio that I could possibly need to create from very conservative to very aggressive or, or really anything in between. I can create that lineup from my menu. From there, it's my job to put in the right players based off of the portfolio that you need. I then look at your individual risk tolerance and time horizon and, and your objectives and your individual concerns, and then appropriately position what I feel are the best possible funds to fit your individual needs. And because of this process, I can do this repeatedly with a group of funds that I'm intimately intimately familiar with. So let me just wrap this thought up here. You have a menu, which is pretty straightforward across the board. You know exactly where you're going with each step, but you can still customize what you're doing per client. Absolutely. And it allows me to, if, if I know, let's just say the menu is about 40 funds and it is, it can range, you know, around that, but I am intimately familiar with those 40 names that are in that menu. A lot of times I get asked, okay, well, well, what happens if one of these funds isn't doing well? Again, it goes back to a process. With, with the process, with my process, what I do is I look at these funds and I review them. I, I look at their performance monthly. And then every quarter, 
I'll do a full screen again. I'll look, at, I'll look at all those various aspects that we just talked about, and I'll rescreen everything. If a position or if a fund or if a player in my lineup is not doing well, I will watch that player. I will watch that investment for two quarters before I decide to replace them. And that's important because as the market ebb and flows, there's ups and downs. There's things that come into favor and out of favor. A, a good long-term manager is not going to win 100% of the time. They're not going to outperform 100% of the time. And so I like to give them some time. I like to give them the benefit of the doubt. And so I'll give two full quarters before I even think about replacing them. If they continue to underperform, if there's a particular issue, well, well then guess what? I'll pull them out and I'll replace them with a new left fielder. I'll, I'll put a new large cap growth fund in there. I have a bench as well as, you know, the starting roster, mm -hmm. so to speak. Now there are unique situations that can create immediate moves in my portfolios. It happens occasionally, you know, once or twice throughout the year where there's a a major retirement, a manager retires, or there's a death, or a fund just completely changes objectives. That sometimes happens. And, and certainly if a fund is no longer large cap growth, it's now mid cap growth, then it doesn't fit the position where I have it. And so I have to think about replacing it. And I can do that immediately, or I will do that immediately rather than waiting for two full quarters. How about third party analysis? So this is the third tier. This is again, part of the secret sauce. And based off of my own observations, not a lot of advisors do this, but for me, this is where I provide the checks and balances that I feel are incredibly important to managing an effective portfolio. I feel very confident that what I've done to this point has created a very good portfolio, whether it's super conservative or super aggressive or anywhere in between. I, I feel pretty confident here and I could probably stop right there, but I take it one step further with what I call the in-depth or the third-party analysis. And this is where I will engage third-party companies. Many times they are teams of professionals from the companies that I'm using in my models. And they will actually look at my models made up again of what I feel are some really good funds. And they will provide in-depth analyst level analysis of all the positions in all of the models that I'm using for my clients. And, and the reason why I'm doing this is because these companies have access to tools that average investors don't have access to. They, they have access to numbers that I can't get. Some of the things that they'll look at from a very, very technical level are alpha and beta and what are called sharp ratios or batting averages. We don't have enough time to get into all of these, but they're, they're, <laughs> they're technical aspects of a portfolio and a risk uh, spectrum that are very important to me. And they'll also look at things like stock overlap or momentum or correlation. And what these companies do and what this analysis does, which I have uh, about half a dozen companies run these types of in-depth analyses. I have them run them quarterly. And, and what this does is it allows me to make sure that the investments I'm using are worthy and that they're top of class and that they're doing what I think that they are doing. It's very important that if I have that right fielder in position, or if I have that large cap growth in position, that that fund is performing the way I, I want it to. Right. Okay, so these third-party views allow me to basically just check my work. The, the analogy I love using here, you know, I, it, it's kind of like changing your oil. People can change their own oil. And effectively, through my screens, that's what I'm doing. I'm changing my own oil. But guess what? Once a quarter, I'm having several mechanics go and review what I've just done. I've had several mechanics go and make sure that when I changed my oil, I was doing it correctly. Nice. And that's, that's, that's the best way of thinking about what we're doing with these third-party in-depth analyses. This process creates your menu, Mike, foundation for every portfolio, whether it be conservative or aggressive, all the way through, all, all across the, the universe here. 
That's correct, right? I, from these, from this menu with the analysis that I've done and with the checks and balances that are in place, I can create any menu I need to, zero to ten. And again, be, because of the process that I have in place, I'm not using just one fun family. I'm creating what I feel to be an all-star team, and I can do this inside of an advisory relationship because I don't have to worry about reaching breakpoints for a client. I can simply use what I feel are the best funds for that particular client. And what's more is this allows me too to be a little more selective in, and also the types of investments that I choose. So we, we've been talking about mutual funds this whole time, but inside my, my portfolios, I also have some other types of investments, whether they're ETFs or UITs or individual securities. I have actively traded mutual funds right next to passive investments. And, and that's, that's a future show in and of itself, the, the, the difference between active mm -hmm. and passive. But in its simplest sense, an actively traded fund is inherently more expensive. You have managers and you have people that are behind the scenes buying and selling. And so the fees inside of that type of investment are higher. Whereas in a passive investment, the, the fees are lower. And so in this type of all-star team based type of approach, I can have those two types of investments right next to one another. And I, I do in just about every portfolio. Again, this process is very important. It allows me to be intimately familiar with every position and what they're doing and allows me to scale my practice. That's really the main objective here. You know, ultimately, after I explain this in-depth investment selection process to a prospect or to a client, I ultimately get asked this as a follow-up. How often are you looking at my investments? And then most of the times after that, they ask, how many clients can you work with? And it's, it's a reasonable question to ask. And because I have this repeatable process that allows me to be intimately familiar with all the investments that are on my menu, the answer is that I can work with a lot of people because I am always in tune with the investments that I'm using for them. And, and the best analogy I can use here is, is that of a bakery. If you go to your local bakery, obviously there's dozens and dozens and dozens of different types of cakes and cookies and things that you can, you can get there. But there's really only probably a handful of ingredients. You know, you have your flour and your sugar and your vanilla and all that different stuff. Well, think about that as my menu. I have my menu. I have all of my ingredients. And I know that if one of those ingredients goes bad, if the vanilla is rotten, then I know I can't put that into any other cake. Right. And so just like with my investments, if I know that one mutual fund is not performing for, for Betty's account, or it's underperforming, or I need to get rid of it in Betty's account, well, guess what? That ingredient, that fund is probably not performing for Joe's account. If I ever see that, that's when I go in and I can select the fund that I need to remove or replace. I'll analyze it, research it, come up with a replacement. And that's when I'll get on the horn and I'll call everyone that has it. And that, this process, that is how I am able to scale my practice. That's how I'm able to work with many clients, many families, and, and ultimately, that's how I take control. That is fascinating, Mike. Fascinating. What do we have in store for future shows, too, which I'm sure will be just as exciting? Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, I, I get uh, passionate about this, as you might imagine. Yes. You know, this, again, this is my secret sauce. So, I, you know, this is a show that I was pretty excited about. But for future shows, I think one of the next ones in the near future is, is we're going to talk about volatility, living through volatile markets, what to expect and what to do. We're also going to start talking and interviewing some experts. You know, I have some attorneys lined up, some accountants. I have a couple of life coaches, a nutritionist, some travel agents. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to start broadening our, our discussion and really start thinking beyond your money. And again, how can people reach you? Well, you can call my number. This is my number directly to my desk. It's 724-933-4446. You can email me at michael.dukovich at rbc.com and it's d-u-k-o-v-i-c-h 
or you could go to my website. It's michaeldukovic.com. And, and on my website, you'll find tons of valuable information on a wide range of financial topics because after all, my goal is to educate. My goal is to inform. And, and ultimately, my goal is to be top of mind for if and when questions come up down the line. Now, I'm looking to work with people that want to take control. I'm looking to work with people who value the plan and people that recognize that life's greatest returns are only realized when you invest beyond your money. So remember, it's, it's your money. It's your life. Take control. Thanks, Mike. Mike Dukovich of RBC Wealth Management. You can subscribe to Mike's Beyond Your Money podcast with the subscribe button on this page. You can also share with the share button. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Your Money podcast with financial advisor Mike Dukovich. Make sure you click the subscribe button now so you will be notified when new podcasts are released. If you want to know more about working with Mike, please call 724-933-4446 or visit michaeldukovich.com. It's your money. It's your life. Take control. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of RBC Wealth Management. All opinions and estimates constitute the speaker's judgment as of the date of this recording and are subject to change without notice and are provided in good faith but without legal responsibility. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial services provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. RBC Wealth Management does not provide tax or legal advice. All decisions regarding the tax or legal implications of your investment should be made in connection with your independent tax or legal advisor. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. It is not possible to invest directly in an index. Investment and insurance products offered through RBC Wealth Management are not insured by the FDIC or any other federal government agency, are not deposits or other obligations of or guaranteed by a bank or any bank affiliate, and are subject to investment risks, including the possible loss of the principal amount invested. RBC Wealth Management is a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, and SIPC. We generally monitor your advisory account for you as part of our advisory services in accordance with the terms of your advisory agreement with us. Our financial planning services are limited to preparation of a financial plan based on the information that you provide and do not include ongoing monitoring. We do not provide ongoing monitoring of your brokerage account investments for you.